don't know about you, but I can't see how Pirates opening day could have gone any better. Any day that's not a loss is a perfect day in Pirates country. In fact, I go so far as to say that the Pirates should petition the league to just call this one a tie and move on to game two. If they go 0-161-1, that'd be better than I anticipated for 2018. The only team that could be worse than the Pirates this year is Miami, and Chicago Cub player Ian Happ of Mount Lebanon hit a homer on the first pitch of the Major League Baseball season against the Marlins. Reportedly, Derek Jeter traded himself right after the ball landed. Mike Tomlin was at Louisville's Pro Day today talking with Cardinals quarterback Lamar Jackson. Personally, I hope the conversation started a little something like this. Hey, Lamar, you ever play safety? I'm Tim Benz. This is the Mark Madden Show on 105.9 The X. And let me say this to Penguins fans. It is a hockey night in the X, and we'll have lots of Penguin talk coming up shortly. Josh Yoey is on with us later this hour. And boy, did Mike Rupp say something intriguing about the Penguins when he was on with us yesterday. So a lot of this first hour, a lot of the last hour will be spent on the Penguins as we segue into the Hockey Night Show at 5.30. We talked so much hockey yesterday. It's one of those days where we were talking so much about the Penguins. I went to the end of the show, and it ended with hockey calls still on the board. So call back if you didn't get through yesterday, 412-333-9939. The topics haven't changed. The tone hasn't changed. The issues are still the same, and all of them are on defense. And they are still on the road. The news today is that Derek Broussard is out. Josh Yoey says it's a groin injury. He's listed as day-to-day, and that's too bad. He just started to heat up. Points in six straight games before getting hurt in Detroit two nights ago. And to me, that sucks on a couple other levels as well, besides him just starting to find his rhythm. Broussard's biggest value is I've written since the day of the trade in the Trib and said here on Mark's show and at ESPN as well, the biggest thing that he provides is depth in case Sid or Gino get hurt. Now, if he's down, then you're left to elevating Riley Shane in such a situation if something like that should occur. And then the last point about why it sucks so bad that Broussard is hurt is that I was hoping that this deal could salvage what otherwise has been a hard luck year for Jim Rutherford on the trade market or the acquisition market based on free agency or what have you. And condolences to the Rutherford family, by the way. Jim's mom passed away. But... You know, I thought that Rutherford did a great job in getting Broussard. I'm just not sure that trade will end up bearing the fruit that we had hoped given this injury. And hopefully it's not too long. We'll ask Josh. But if that trade works out, then no one remembers the Nieme deal. No one remembers the Hunwick acquisition, the Ryan Reeves acquisition, all those other moves that didn't work out for Rutherford. No one remembers those if Broussard pans out. So hopefully he can recuperate and erase some of those other mishaps on behalf of GMJR because I liked this trade at the time. It hasn't worked out great, but as I told you earlier in the week, Marion Hosa took a while to work out too, in part because he also got hurt in the regular season right after he got acquired. Then he went on to be one of their best players in the playoffs of 2008. Hopefully that will be the case for Broussard too because right now a lot of angry Penguin fans are just plucking the low-hanging fruit and assigning every bit of blame defensively to the fact that Ian Cole isn't on the ice and Broussard is on the team instead. Like, we've talked a lot of Penguins this week while Mark has been out, and we have taken quite a few phone calls that have worked back to, hey, the Penguins aren't playing well, how come Riley Shane doesn't play so much anymore? That's, that's, that's not the problem. 
Riley Sheehan not playing as much has not been the issue as to why the Penguins defensively haven't been as good. Now, maybe he was better defensively than what Broussard has been since he got here, but I would also allow that Broussard is trying to do a lot of heavy lifting defensively for the wingers with whom he is playing. In a lot of cases, that's been Sherry and Kessel. Mark brought that up yesterday, too, and I think that's a valid point. And trust me, folks, even if Ian Cole were here, there'd be 40 minutes a night when he wasn't on the ice. And those 40 minutes would still be a problem. So let's come up with something besides blame the Broussard trade for reasons why the Penguins aren't playing as well as we want them to be playing. 412-333-9939. Like I said, we can keep talking hockey here. Also, I want to talk football. And pardon me while I get on a soapbox, but I'm only five foot six, so that needs to happen sometimes. I've been doing a lot of reading and listening and watching in the wake of the NFL passing its new helmet rule. And I, I just got to say this, folks, this is not okay. What football is doing is not okay to football. With the people in charge of the NFL, the National Football League, what they're doing is not good for the sport of football, even though they're acting like it is. And I mean that. The NFL is killing this game in the name of protecting its own bank account, not in the name of protecting the game or the players. And hopefully you've been reading and hearing the same things that I have. If you haven't, let me give you a new perspective on this. Because the easy thing to do is read and hear about player safety rules enforcements and say, well, they're just protecting the players and we're getting out of the Neanderthal ages of what football used to be and we're thinking bigger picture. That's not what they're doing. This is what Pro Football Talk wrote. Quote, If you were surprised by the news that the NFL had broadly banned the lowering of the helmet rule to initiate contact, you're not alone. The NFLPA, the Players Association, didn't know it was coming. Per a source with knowledge of the situation, the NFL's competition committee told representatives from the NFLPA during meetings held in connection with the scouting combine that the league ultimately wants to eject players for certain egregious hits. The committee displayed at the time a reel of roughly six or seven plays. As the source explained it, the NFLPA representatives understood the concern regarding some of the hits shown in the selected plays. As to a few plays, they didn't, though. The competition committee members also mentioned concerns about a runner dropping his head, but they never said that there would be a general prohibition on every hit that's initiated with a helmet. And so it is becoming more and more clear that the league decided to keep everyone in the dark about this until an opportunity arose to push the measure through, limiting the opportunity for a fair and transparent public debate over the wisdom of such a rule and regarding its potential impact on the manner in which professional football is played. In other words, the league acted unilaterally here without the players being involved in the discussion. The league, which got in trouble for acting in the shadows in the first place, is doing it again in the name of trying to correct how it acted in the shadows. You can't make this stuff up. You know what this tells me? This belief that the helmet rule is about player safety is stupid. This isn't about player safety. This is about owner safety. This rule is being put in place because of protection against lawsuits, not protection against concussions or neck injuries. If the league cared about players, the players would have been part of this discussion because they're the ones that have to learn how to hit again and whether or not they can do it safely. But the league doesn't care about the players because in the past, it's been the players that have been the ones that have sued them. 
So it's kind of a vicious cycle. Here's the biggest issue with the helmet thing and where the players I know would have given feedback and negative feedback to what the owners have done here. This is something I've said on these airways dating back to 2011 when I was still doing the morning show here. And I maintain it now because sadly I was proven right. And Bob was sitting five feet away from me when I was saying this. I said back then, and sadly I turned out to be proven right, the next cataclysmic injury that was going to take place in football was not going to be a wide receiver or a quarterback. It was going to be a defensive player. And sadly, that was the case right here with Ryan Shazier. And the NFL, without using Ryan Shazier's name publicly, is passing this rule because of Ryan Shazier. Because they are caught in this sort of um, murky territory where they're just getting caught up from the concussion lawsuit, and now they're trying to protect themselves as best as they can from any player that's going to sue over neck injuries. Let's be honest, that's what this is. This is a direct response to what happened with Shazier. And I'm not saying that's going to be the case that Ryan is going to sue the NFL or sue the Steelers, but they're concerned that maybe the next guy will. Here's what the league is missing, though. And I bet you the reason why some of the NFL PA types are leaking this out to national outlets to talk about this is that the players would have told the league, look, you have made it so hard for those of us, particularly on defense, You've made us all so paranoid about helmet-to-helmet contact that we are now lowering our heads to miss the offensive players as best as we can. So now we're lowering our heads so we don't hit guys in the head to avoid getting a penalty, and now you're going to tell us we're going to be thrown out for that and get flags for that too? What are we supposed to do? Check out another passage from Pro Football Talk. This gets even deeper. PFT reached out to the NFL to see if we could get a look at some examples of plays that were legal before but now would be illegal under the new rule saying that lowering the head to initiate contact with the helmet is a foul. We were told that the league could not provide any video or give specific examples. The league needs to produce such a video. I agree with that statement. Until we see specific examples, we have no idea what this rule really means. Under the broadest possible interpretation, lowering the head to initiate contact with the helmet happens multiple times on every play. What else is a lineman doing when he comes out of a three-point stance? Exactly. They're passing rules without even knowing what they're passing. 412-333-9939. And it's not okay that they're trying to take out all head contact from football. It can't be done. So it's not okay that they're trying. I mean, this Rich McKay stat that he keeps throwing out there about concussions, about how they were spiked to a record high. No kidding! Of course they were at a record high. You're diagnosing them more often. You're being more diligent about diagnosing and treating them. That's not bad news. The fact that concussions were reported at a higher rate is actually good news. We're making progress and taking care of the players and taking them off the field when they're getting hurt. You know, the real stat, and the one that they don't want to tell you because they don't know if they can provide the information for it, the real stat that matters of those concussions, tell me how many of them would have been the direct results of plays that would have been flagged under this new rule. That's the only stat that matters. Because otherwise, this other stat means nothing. It's counterproductive. It's counterintuitive to your point. Like, I was listening to the other station today, and they were saying, well, I guess kickoffs are going to go away because it's a high-injury risk play, and I, I guess we're going to have to get used to it. No, that's, that's not the right answer. That's not the right response. That's not the right answer from football fans. That's not okay. Because if you accept no kickoffs, 
like we accepted the leg diving rule, like we accepted the overreaching headshot rule, like we've accepted the overly officious crackback rule, like we've accept, accepted the you know lowering the helmet stuff over the last week. Where does it stop? Like we shouldn't accept this one either. You know what? And, and people say, well, then what's the answer? You know what the answer is? Watch these other leagues. Seriously, start, watch the XFL. Watch this new Troy Hines League, whatever it's called, the All-American Football League or whatever. Watch that. Watch something besides the NFL. That's the way to go. Make them feel like they're losing their audience. And I, I think it's unfortunate that the anthem flap kind of came up in conjunction with this because it's so easy that's such low-hanging fruit to say, oh, well, it was the anthem. That's why everybody turned it off. I don't know about that. Uh, I think of all the things that were thrown around that were reasons why people tuned out the NFL as much as they did, I think far more than the anthem stuff, it was, am I watching the same sport I liked before? And I think in a lot of cases, that answer is definitely no. Get rid of kickoffs. I mean, again, it's just, they can get rid of it because it's not that important, but is it important to just keep a play in when it really doesn't make that much of a difference? You know, and for people who want to, Talk about this in terms of practical application. What are you going to do? Allow onside kicks, which are more dangerous than regular kickoffs, after two minutes just because you can cover the point spread then? <laughs> you talk about being disingenuous. So I want to hear from football fans on this. I, I, this is not okay. This isn't just, oh, it's the wave of the future. At times they are changing. No, it's not okay. That's what I think. What do you think? 412 333 99-39. We'll also hear from Mike Rupp and Josh Yoey about Penguins before the top of the hour. This is 105.9 The X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. They're going to nail us no matter what we do, so we might as well have a good time. Toga, toga. The X at 105.9. Coming up in just a little bit, Josh Yoey. We talk Penguins pens tonight against the Devils on 105.9 The X. Tim Ben's in for Mark Madden. If you're listening right now, though, and judged, judging by the reaction that we've got in the phone lines, a lot of people are pretty fired up, as I am, about what the NFL is trying to do to its own sport. I'm sitting here watching the NFL Network as we speak, running back to old games, and I'm seeing the Texans and Seahawks 31-27, and I'm thinking to myself, if they were to enforce every one of these rules that they want to enforce, this game would have been 60-something to 60-something. You know, like the Seahawks specifically are a team to talk about. They got great praise for adopting the rules and regulations that they were before this and better teaching their guys how to tackle without being penalized. And part of that, unfortunately, is, you know, taking your head, lowering it, and using your shoulder to get around the would-be tackler, you know? But what if they lower their head and make contact while they're trying to do that? Does, like, Bobby Wagner get ejected now? And how does this work? I'm confused. Let's go to Chuck, who's calling from the road. Hi, Chuck. Go ahead. You're on 105.9 The X. Chuck, you're on. Here. Go. Speak. All right. So I I don't necessarily agree with how the NFL is doing it. I think they need to change the language. They keep talking about what not to do instead of what to do. So, you know, I mean, it's called tackle football. They should be emphasizing on the tackle part. I mean, the game has gotten to this point where everything is about a hit instead of a tackle. Um, coaching seventh grade football all the years I did, I had kids coming up from Pop Warner that were taught to lower their head and hit like that, and it was always a task to redirect them and to teach 
them how to tackle with their arms. Well, there's a point to what you're getting at, Chuck, that I think is valid, and thank you for the call. And that point is, if they really cared about player safety, part of safety is the rest of your body from the collarbone down. And eventually it's going to get to the point where players' careers are more at threat from blown-out knees than one or two concussions because everybody's going to be scared to death to go up high. And when I say high, I, I mean like even from the breastbone up, not even the collarbone, from the like the breastbone or the navel up, people are going to be paranoid about this. You know, players don't do it now because it's still seen as chintzy. You know, even up to and including Gronk a couple years ago when he got taken out the legs, people were bitching about that up in New England because it was a cheap play because they didn't try to take on Gronk high. What are you going to do? First of all, it's Gronk. Got to get him down somehow. Second of all, you know, Barry Church got a penalty for the same thing. What if Barry Church does to Gronk what I'm suggesting he should do now, which is go low and his knee goes out again? Then what? Well, he stayed up high. Gronk caught a ball over him. Church ran into him, concussive force, a body into the chest, his neck comes down, and Church gets a penalty. TJ calling from Cabot. Hi, TJ. That's JT, but... Oh, sorry, uh, JT. Big fan to, hey, how are cool. you? Good, how are you? Um, I'm just calling. I understand that, you know, they're trying to protect the players, and what happened to Ryan Shazier is a horrible tragedy, but, I mean, when is it going to stop? I mean, where is the line? I mean... Are, players are going to be scared to tackle. Well, no, it, that's the problem, JT. That's what I'm getting at. Is When we get to the point where you turn on talk shows, you're reading the paper, you read online, well, I guess kickoffs are going away. We're becoming too accepting. And the reason that we have to accept it is because we don't have another good option yet, which is why I'm saying it might be worth it to give the XFL a chance. It might be worth it to give the All-American Football League a chance because uh, I'm not a big fan of, oh, where does it end? You know, that's what the gun nuts say. Oh, you're going to take away my AR-15. How am I supposed to shoot Bambi? Well, you know, no one's trying to take away the one pistol you got in your house. We want to make sure you don't have a bazooka. Okay, it's the same thing here with football. But the problem is they've gone well beyond that. Now I think the answer, now I think you can ask, where is it going to end? Because I don't know where it does. You know, take it away, kick off. We, we've gotten to that point. You can't have a kickoff? Come on. 412 333 99-39. Josh Yoey next. We'll talk hockey and then get back to football at the top of the hour. This is 105.9 The X. This is Patrick Hornquist of the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're listening to Mark Madden and the best hockey talk on 105.9 The X. Thanks, Patrick. Joining me right now, it's Josh Yoey from the Athletic Beat Writer for the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's on the road covering the Pens in New Jersey. He joins me right now. Josh, how are you? Good to talk to you again. Tim, I am well. Uh, I should say I'm as well as a man can be who is uh, staring at the Newark International Airport out of his hotel room right now. It's the best view in Newark, actually, because it gives you hope that you might be leaving soon. Actually, it's incredibly cloudy here, so I can't see anything, so I can pretend that I'm anywhere, so it's okay. Anytime the Penguins are on the road anywhere, Josh, it's been a problem. Why has that been? It's a great question, Tim. I actually just wrote about that this morning. The Penguins have the second-best road record in the NHL behind only the Winnipeg Jets, or home record, rather. But on the road, uh, they have by far the worst record of any playoff contender. It's not even close. I, I don't know. I, I've asked everybody on the team about it. I've asked Mike Sullivan. Nobody really has an explanation. The only thing I can say is that, you know, these Penguins, for whatever reason, uh, there is an element to this team right now that it just isn't very focused. 
And it's just kind of hanging around waiting for the playoffs to come. And I think it's easy to get up for a game when you're at home. And I think when you're not focused and you're on the road, maybe that cavalier nature has hurt them. I don't know. But uh, it, it certainly gets your attention when you look at this team and its overall numbers. Well, one hand washes the other there. If you are unfocused and you're not playing well, especially in road situations against teams you should beat, then you might find yourself further down in the standings when the playoffs hit and get less favorable matchups and, hey, get this, maybe be on the road for a decisive Game 7. Are they aware of that, and do you think they care? Like, Is there anything about this team that suggests to you that matchups matter or Game 7s at home versus road matter in the playoffs? I, you know, I... Talked with a lot of guys about that very topic in the last few days. I truly get the sense that this team just doesn't care. Like, call it arrogance if you want. Uh, call it a championship team that knows how to flip the switch in the playoffs. I don't know. I really don't think they care. I think they feel like we're the Penguins, and with the playoffs, Tom, if we played the way we're capable of, you know, someone still has to beat us four times out of seven, and that's true. Um, I don't, you know, I know fans will look and say, well, they match up better against Philly than they do New Jersey. And, you know, that's what, that's what we'll talk about all the time. I just don't think they look at it like that. And I've covered other Penguins teams that I don't think that was the case. When I knew for a fact there were certain teams that they probably wanted to avoid, I don't get that sense from this team at all. And they're kind of playing like it right now, Tim. I mean, they're not playing like a team that's saying, oh, we better avoid Washington or Tampa in the first round. You certainly don't get that sense, do you? No, I don't. And one thing they might avoid is, the playoffs, unless they get things sewn up here, how concerned are you about where they sit versus where Florida is as the number nine team in the East? Oh, not especially, but I'll tell you, if Florida would have won in Toronto last night, we'd be having a different conversation. That was a pretty big loss. Um, so I don't think it's panic time quite yet, though I will say, if the Penguins lose tonight, and, and given their history at the Prudential Center, I think we have to consider that possibility at least. If they lose tonight in regulation... Saturday night at home against the Montreal Canadiens becomes kind of a must-win game for them. The Montreal stinks, so they should beat them. But if you look after that, Tim, they're home to Washington on Sunday. That's not easy. Then they don't play for four days. Then they play in Columbus against the hottest team in the league. So the schedule is really nasty. And only that Montreal and Ottawa, those two home games, uh, late in the season, the only games against quote-unquote bad teams, which hasn't been an easy thing for them. So, no, it, I don't think they're going to miss the playoffs, but if they lose a couple more games in a row, yeah, it's absolutely something we need to discuss. From The Athletic, it's Josh Yoey covering the Penguins. Pens tonight against the Devils on 105.9 The X. I'll take it one step further, Josh. Let's look at where they would then be if they were to wind up in the playoffs, but after a loss potentially to Jersey. Like, if they wind up in the eighth spot, then they got to go over to the Atlantic, and they stink against those teams in the Atlantic. Well, no, they do, and... um no, that's the biggest problem. If they are a wild card team, there's a big difference between the top wild card and the bottom wild card. If they're the top wild card, which means if they come in fourth place in the division, they'll play Washington in the first round. I don't think that's the team you really want to start with, but given their history against that team, uh, I actually think they would kind of revel in the matchup. Yeah, it wouldn't bit. matter when they would get Washington; they just get they're Washington. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, but the coming the second wild card would be a huge problem. Um, Boston has really exposed them on a couple of occasions this season, in my opinion. Um, that's probably their worst matchup against any team. And, yeah, they've had trouble. With, and they're 1-2 and two against Tampa and 1-2 and two against Toronto this season. So you're right. The Atlantic, at least at the top of the divisions, the Atlantic is better this season. So they better not come in that spot. That would be a horrible road for them to take. 
And uh, it, it's kind of fascinating, really, to see how it's going to work out because they could literally play one of five teams in the first round. We have no idea. It could be Washington, Tampa, Boston, Columbus, Philadelphia, New Jersey. Any of those teams are possible. Josh Yoey from The Athletic, our guest on The X. I understand, Josh, according to your reporting, it's a groin injury for Derek Broussard. Is that right? And how long do you expect him to be out? Yeah, that's what I was told. Um, the team's just calling it a lower body injury. Uh, the sense I get is that it's not real serious. I, I saw him walking around the team hotel this morning. He didn't appear to be in any great distress or limping or anything. That doesn't necessarily mean he won't be out for a while. But uh, the sense I get from people in the organization is they think he will be fine for the playoffs. Um, now, with groin injuries, you never know. Those can certainly uh, be tricky in terms of recovery. But uh, don't believe it's serious. And that's a good thing because uh, he has been an important guy for the Penguins, in particular during the last five or six games. He's been very good. He's started to become a lot more comfortable, I think, in the Penguin system. So that's not somebody they need to be without. Yeah, I wrote about that in the Trib. I just mentioned it before you came on the air to open up the show, Josh, in the sense that not just is he – uh, acclimating, but it would also be nice for Jim Rutherford to have that trade work out since, you know, he's taken so much guff for trades that didn't work out or moves that didn't work out during the offseason and the fact that Ian Cole isn't here anymore. I mean, people seem to be associating 100% of the defensive deficiencies in recent weeks, recent games, with the fact that Cole isn't here. That I hasten to remind folks. He, even if he did get 20 minutes of great ice time every night, if he was still a Penguin, there's still 40 minutes where he wouldn't have been out there, and that's where as many of the problems are taking place as anything else. Am I right? So, so true. Um, first of all, what you said about the trade, they did give up a lot for Broussard. They also gave up their best goaltending prospect. So, yeah, I mean, Jim was banking on Derek Broussard making a real impact, not just this season, but also next season. As for the Cole thing, no, you're right, and I, I like Cole. I think he's a very good player. Um, he's not the kind of guy you want to trade right before the playoffs. I will say that. The real risk in trading Cole, however, is if someone else on the blue line gets hurt because it really deprived them of a lot of the depth that they had previously. And that hasn't happened yet, knock on wood. Um, yeah, the rest of the defensemen are all good NHL players. They just happen to not be playing so great right now. And team defense in general is the single biggest problem. Uh, for all of the Penguins are struggling, Tim, uh, they're still scoring goals. I mean, they're scoring goals left and right. They're just giving up way too many grade-A chances, and that's not because Ian Cole's not there. It's just because there's a team-wide disinterest in playing defense, in my opinion. Now, will that change when the playoffs start? You would think so, and I would suggest that it hit better. Josh, let me give you something that Mike Rupp said to us yesterday, and we're going to play the clip later on the program for people who might have missed it, but Mike said to me that he would try to address some of the problems defensively on the blue line with putting Hunwick back in, having him play with Mata, and then having Alexiak play with Latang, leaving Schultz and Dumoulin together. What would you think of those combinations? And boy, are we at the point where we're saying putting Hunwick back in is an answer? I love Mike Rupp. I think he's a bright man, but I don't particularly agree with that. Um, what I would do, I would put Chris Letang back with Brian Dumoulin. That's been a really good pairing for a couple of years. Dumoulin knows how to play with Letang. I think he gets frustrated sometimes. Letang's not an easy guy to play with, and he's been so up and down this season. But to me, you have to go back to that pairing. I would make my second pairing Ole Mata with Justin Schultz. Ole Mata's been their most steady defenseman all season. I think they have to find a way to have him in the top four. 
And then I would probably make Alexiak and Ruedel my third pair. And I think Ruedel's been perfectly fine. I've actually liked his game for the most part, which is a lot more than I can say for Matt Hamlet's game. So that's what I would do with the pairings. Um, but I, I think we're going to see Dumoulin and Latang back together at some point. They, they had a tough little stretch. But they've been too good together for too long to break up. I think Sullivan's just uh, doing this for a week or two just to you know, give everyone kind of a fresh look. But I, I think it will revert back to that eventually. Joshua, brought to us by CW Electrical Services. Make the switch at CWElectricalServices.com. Josh, I know that the goalie is part of this equation as well, and you wrote about Matt Murray recently. Uh, You also touched on the glove hand, which is something that comes and goes as a point of conversation with Matt all the time. Uh, What did he say to you about where he feels his play is with his glove? Uh, Matt Murray is great because he will always tell you he's on top of his game. He's one of those guys. He, he doesn't like to admit when he's not playing well very often. Um, you know, it's funny. I spoke with Mike Buckley, the goaltender coach, and he was very frank about it. He said, we think Matt's a great goalie, but every goalie has his strengths and his weaknesses. And we know the glove is a weakness of his sometimes. And, and he told me that sometimes during practice, he, you know, will have forward shoot at a certain angle, uh, you know, low glove, high glove, whatever, to, to help Murray work through that a little bit. Um, he is the single most important player for the Penguins, I think, entering the playoffs. He has not had a great season. However, they have been so bad in front of him that it's very difficult for me to gauge exactly where he is. I mean, you know, he's given up. You know, how, how many breakaways did he have to stop in Detroit? Yeah. Uh, how, you know, you can, it's just incredible the chances they're giving up. So they need to play better in front of him. But he does need to elevate his game. And, you know, he's been hurt. He has that passed away, missing time. It's been a tough season for him. I'm very interested to see how he plays tonight and how he plays down the stretch here because uh, they will not go far in the playoffs if he does not play a little bit better. The thing about him in the glove, and maybe why we talk about it as much as we do, Josh, is because I don't think he's slow with his glove hand. Like, you know, If a goalie just beat, gets beaten glove side, then sometimes you're more inclined to say, hey, great shot, they beat a good goalie glove side, so be it. But He's getting his glove on the puck, and it's like he's just not very dexterous. You know, like he just it hits the glove and it falls out, or he doesn't catch it cleanly, or it goes off his wrist, or, or something like that. It's less about, hey, he's got a slow glove hand. It's what he does with it when he gets the glove in position. It is bizarre, isn't it? I know exactly what you mean. He kind of looks like, you know, when you're playing baseball and you're eight years old and you put the bad player in right field and he can't catch a fly ball. Like, his glove, it looks awkward at times. It doesn't look like an NHL goalie trying to glove a puck. I know exactly what you mean, and it's interesting because if you look at the rest of Murray's game, and I'm talking like goaltending fundamentals because it's certainly not my area of expertise, but he doesn't have any weaknesses. He doesn't give up bad goals. He, He does everything fundamentally so well, from what I can tell anyway. But then the glove hand just looks so shaky, and you you can see it. I think it was the Philly game in particular on Sunday. They were taking every shot at the glove side. It was so obvious what the scouting report was. And, you know, we saw it in the playoffs last year, and he managed to get it together. He was pretty good with the glove hand in the playoffs, and uh, they're banking on him doing that again because I promise you, whoever they play in the first round, they're going to test him. Finally, Josh, the thing that you mentioned earlier about flipping the switch, and part of the reason I'm a bit alarmed is that I feel like the captain has flipped the switch in these last couple of games. And while his is turning on, I feel like others either turned it off or have yet to run over to pay the light bill. You know what I mean? I mean, like he's he's been good, and others I feel like are, are lagging as the bell lap is being rung here. How about you? 
No, there's no question. Um, and I, I'm hardly going to hold Evgeny Malkin accountable for anything. He's been so great all year, but he hasn't been very good the last three or four games. Agreed. It's funny, whenever one of them starts to dominate, the other one usually doesn't. It's always been that way. I don't know why. But you've certainly been able to pick up on that. And uh, listen, the Penguins aren't playing well right now. And they are where they are in the standings, and the record is what it is, just because they have an extraordinary amount of talent. They are not playing well. And that's not something I was saying at the end of March in the last two seasons. So, yeah, that's a little alarming. I don't think you can just flip a switch in the playoffs. I don't think it's that easy. Um, they need to show something these next uh, 10 days or so. And tonight would be a good place to start. If they come into New Jersey against a very good Devils team, beat them in this building, a team they don't play well against in a building where they don't play well, that to me would go a long way. I'm very interested to see how they play tonight. Agreed, Josh. Thanks a bunch. Appreciate you coming on. All right, Tim, you got it. All right, that is Josh Yoey from New Jersey joining us here via The Athletic. Once again, courtesy of CW Electrical Service. Make the switch at CWElectricalServices.com. 412-333-9939. When we come back, a favorite of mine, comedian, local legend in town this weekend. I'll be going to see him. You'll hear from him next here on 105.9 The X.